Coming up in two minutes is the 10th episode of the Good Grief, Good God Show, hosted by Grammy nominee and Emmy award-winning hit songwriter of 15 top 10 songs, including nine number ones, Brad Warren of the Warren Brothers. I'm producer Matt Pivato. Join Brad monthly on the first and third Tuesdays on your favorite audio platform or in video on YouTube for raw, honest conversation about surviving things that suck. For today's episode, Brad welcomes a generational legend of the hugely successful Red Dirt Texas music scene, Corey Morrow. Corey has sold over 300,000 records and has charted on Billboard's Heat Seekers chart seven times, all without major label support. Until today's episode, Brad has never met Corey and was blown away by Corey's testimony and journey that closely parallels Brad's story of an of an early career filled with drugs and alcohol to today filled with grace, faith, and sobriety. Lastly, on a personal note, it would be fair to say that I wouldn't be producing this show, much less a a career in the music business, if I hadn't met Corey back in 97. To make a long story short, he gave me my first job, my first opportunity in the music business. I was his booking agent tour manager for about five years. More specifically, I met my best friend, Corey's bass player at the time, Ryan Lynch. Tragically, Lynch took his life on April 6th of 2019. Losing Lynch led me to randomly approach Brad and Lisa last April at a Jackie Ingram show, and the rest is history. So check the description or show notes to learn more about Corey, Brad, and the show and access clickable links to connect to the show on social media, to watch on YouTube, or listen on your favorite audio platform. And to visit goodgriefgoodgodshow.com, we will find the most up-to-date show information, including links to the back catalog of episodes. Lastly, but most importantly, if you'd like to help support the show, please hit that subscribe button, leave us a comment, and give us a big old five-star review. On the behalf of Brad's wife, Michelle, segment producer and guest booker, Lisa Bolt, thank you for tuning in. The Good Grief, Good God Show is brought to you in loving memory of Sage Michael Warren. Well, this is probably the most fun. I'm not wearing anything yet. <laughs> the other mic. Stand, stand up and sit down. Yeah. Um, oh, man. I, um, man, thank you for having me on today. Thanks for coming. Dude. I appreciate you. I know that you just flew in recently, either last night or today or whatever. Yeah, last yes. night. Decided to do it last night so I could have so some time. So you can sleep. Well, that's yeah. good. And you're writing? Yeah. Who are you write with? Um, let's see. Uh, uh, Patrick Davis. Um, John David Kent. Is Patrick Davis? What's our boy Patrick? What's up, Patrick? You know Patrick Davis? No, that's Patrick. Um, Marty. Marty Davis was. Um, I know that name. I'm trying to. He's married to Virginia. He was married to Virginia. Correct. Thomas's that's correct. manager. Oh. Virginia Davis. Yeah, that's correct. That was a long time. That's when we met. They were together, newly married, and I don't know if I hadn't seen him. we ran around together. And she, he's actually getting married next week. Yeah, so or later this week, but he said uh, it's funny when when you're uh, your second or third marriage, you just you're just writing and working right up until the wedding instead of taking the two weeks off. To I, mean, I think he said, "What's what's today? What's the day of the, the number of the day?" Tenth. Yeah, he's getting married on the fifteenth. Yeah, and he said he'd meet with me tomorrow, and I'm like, yeah, really? "Hey, man!" After you've done it once, sure? all the he's like, "No, no, let's do it." I'm like, "It's like your buddy, your first marriage, I'll fly to." After that, you got to have a local wedding or we're not going. You we're know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. To, you don't fly away to someone's second marriage. It just doesn't. That's terrible. I'll wear, I'll wear the flowered shirt, but I'm not going to go to Hawaii for your, your wedding. Well, actually, if you're going to Hawaii, I might reconsider that one. I don't know. How many uh, 
How many dates do you play a year? About 100. I want it to be less, but it's, it's quite a bit less than it used to be. Okay, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask that, too. I mean, it's, it's a lot, though, it's, but it's all it in is. Texas. Mostly. I wake up every January 1st, and I'm just like, I get to do this again? Like, some people say, man, aren't you tired? And if, if I go down that road, it's like, yeah, I get tired of, of certain things, but everybody can get tired of certain things of their job. But what an amazing job. And like Willie Nelson said, they when I think it's Johnny Carson asked, when are you going to retire? And he's like, I play music, I travel, and I play golf. What am I going to retire to? And from. <laughs> what, is, what, what is that? How, does, how, does, how do you make sense of that? Yeah, uh, I, 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 I agree with that. There is a... Um, I mean, you get tired. Traveling makes you tired. I don't well, care how bus, you're traveling. The bus makes you wore out, and and and, and we've—that's just what it is. My brother and I have spent—I probably even said this on here. My brother and I have spent thirty years or more standing in a hallway of some sort with guitar cases, whether it's a breezeway to get on an airplane yeah. or the hallway of a hotel trying to get our rooms open or some corporate event waiting. For, we had literally been standing in a hallway holding guitar cases for half of our lives. And I used to always say, how long are we going to have to do this? And now I say, how long are we going to get to do this? Get to do this. Because it's it gets more fun all the time. And I guess you just kind of like, it's like this rule as you turn 50, don't ever pass a bathroom. Yeah. Don't ever Western pass. Don't, yeah, don't, don't ever pass up sex with your wife. <laughs> right. What's the other one? Oh, don't trust the fart. Yeah, that's that's it. You, we've already covered all these so, things. So we're pretty good to go. Five minutes of meeting each Thank other. Thank you for joining us today. Brad and Corey are now finished. It was, a, it was a great talk. Yeah, it was a good talk. Are we, are we started over there? Have we, are, have we already begun? We've got a long time to go. That's the problem with this guy. You started before you know you started. Well, it's probably good. He should have had us mic'd up when we met yeah, outside. Yeah, we've already had a good show outside. Is there an intro? Do you want to do like a... a There's no intro. There's no real intro? There's no intro. <laughs> I, do, um, I do have a quote for every, everybody that comes on. Um, and you are the first person I've had a po- on my podcast that I didn't previously know before. So this is exciting. I'm cool. And I got to do a little research on you and, um, and watch some stuff. And so the quote I have, which is one of my favorites, is um, for you, is that one often meets his destiny on the path he takes to avoid it. Uh, that, that pretty much, you hit me home. You've hit me in the nose twice today. In the, in the, <laughs> how long have, have I been here? I think we come from the same spot. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. That's... Uh... And I, I find that quote to be a constant truth. Like I'm, I'm constantly, mm-hmm. so just the other day, um, I'm on the road, I'm on the golf course, I'm talking to my manager. Retired and working. Right. <laughs> I'm playing by myself at the, at the country club that my buddy couldn't make, so he set me up. And my manager's called and we're talking about some issues with a, with a crew member. Let's just say that. And I'm like complaining. And I'm like, they got to go. It's time for them to go. And he's like, I know I agree, I agree. But I was, I had a Bible study this morning with men's group and it was talking about, you know, we, we just have to, we have to love everybody and we have to, we have to have compassion for people. And we, the end of the day, we just have to love each other. And you don't want to end this business relationship out of anger. And I didn't want to hear that. And I was just like, I've done everything I can do for this guy. We've, we've been as compassionate as we've been helpful. We've done. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done. Do you understand that I'm done? And he's like, man, I hear you, brother. I, I hear you. I know you're done. And, and then we're done. But I just, you know, I just want to make sure that you. And I was like, and I hung up and I was like, I was just ticked off. I was like, he's not mad with me. Like, he's not angry yeah. with me, you know. He's joined me. And I started and, and I was convicted because I was angry and I was sitting there going, OK, God, what are you trying to show me? And then I'm like, oh, you're trying to show me that that I need to 
I need to not end this in anger like he is saying, like my manager is telling me, you're making it loud and clear and perfectly understandable. And so I, I took some time and I arrested and then I came back and I just said, look, man, you know what? Maybe we don't need to let the guy go because we can make it work. And I said, it's, it's, I'm angry and I'm tired of these things happening all over again, but you know, we, we can make it work and we can make a plan. And he said, yeah, okay, well maybe we will. And then just yesterday it like it ended and it ended because that person chose to end it. And it was like, it needed to end. Right. But you didn't have to get on. I didn't have to do it in anger. And, and, and it was, and it was just like, okay, that, well, there's my, my destiny. And I'm yeah. trying to avoid doing the right thing, being loving and understanding. I'm like, no, we're going to do it my way. I've been doing it your way, God, for so long, and it's not working. You haven't gotten rid of this person, and we need to get rid of him. So I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of him. And like, I'm taking the reins, and it's like, oh man. I give everything to God, but the important things. You know what I mean? Which is I let him, I let him take care of. You know, when it comes to my wife or my my finances. I got this. He's like, I read the Bible. I got it. You know, keep. Uh, the truth is, like the the um, the things that I need to give him that I still haven't are the ones that are the most. <clears throat> it would be smartest of me to do. Um, I don't know if you do the twelve step program or whatever. Um, I, I, I did it. I, I didn't actually do it, but a friend of mine who's done it yeah. said that I did it. She's like, I, yeah, yeah, she knows my story. She goes, you just did every one of those things, and I was like, I did. I said I I kind of looked at him one time, but I never. I think subconsciously. I knew what to do, right? You have yeah. to go back and you have to make amends. And you, and she's like, yeah, you, you did all of them. And I was like, great. Okay, great. What do I do now? She goes, just keep working them. Yeah, no, it's good. So there's a, there's, there's a, uh, there's a something in the 10th step that, that yeah, there's literature on and, and uh, it's kind of your conscious contact with God, but it, it, there's a, a spiritual axiom that says if basically paraphrasing, if I am bothered, it is me. My, Period. My, my my wife's mother used to say, "If there's a problem, it's you." She'd say that to her, and she's not an act. She never went through the approach. That's what she would always yeah. tell her. So when I met my wife, it was just like that was the thing. And I'm going, man, that's wise. People have been saying that for a long time, probably. Well, here's the thing: it took to completely took the pressure off me to because I was always wondering whose fault this was. Yeah. I mean, what whatever it was, there was this has to be somebody's fault. I'm a big blamer, you know. I come from a family of like finger pointing blamers. Uh, we were Baptists, and so you were counting your sins, and you were counting everyone else's sins. So if you could throw one of yours on somebody else, man, you were you were ahead of you're so good keeping score. And I just, I mean, it was you know a few years back. I, I've been I've been sober a long time, let's say, and it was probably five or six years ago. I'm like, oh, if I'm bothered about anything, it's me. If I'm bothered in traffic, it's amazing how when I'm in a hurry, everyone sucks at driving. You know, everyone, I was going to comment about everybody driving here, and I was going the speed limit today, but yeah. but it's probably me. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I get. I was, I was driving this little car though. The little cars scare me because everybody's like all over you, and yeah. you're like down here. But but you're right. It's like it and and it, and it comes up in in every single little thing when you start to get worked up. Yeah, you know, you're getting worked up because because you're you've got a problem with something. Hundred percent. Like I got a problem with the way that you're talking to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, whose problem is it? It's my problem. Yeah. It, the problem is me. And the other problem can be a, the other can person be can be a problem. They can problem they can, can be, be real. Broken. But I don't have to be bothered by it. <laughs> I don't have to be what um, I love quotes as you already can tell. And uh, this Nelson Mandela quote that my wife showed me last week. He said, "I don't win. No, I don't ever lose. I either win or learn." I'm like wow. So if everything. 
Wow. If everything is just either a win for me or a chance for me to learn something. Yep. And that sounds so, God, when I was younger, I would have been like, shut yeah, the yeah, TV shut out, up. just watch it. Shut up. Don't want to hear it. But the truth is, that's that's what it is. So everything's, I tell my kids, I'm like, you know, how, how do we how do we learn? And they say, by, by failing. And I'm like, by, you know, by making mistakes. And I'm like, exactly. And I said, so while we're practicing this thing that we're doing, we're not going to, my kid's like, we're practicing pitching and I'm trying to teach him the right way to throw because he's trying to throw with his arm. And I'm like, you got to use your shoulders and, and, and he's getting kind of down on himself. And I was like, I understand that you're disappointed in your performance, but you, you can't have great performance when you're learning something because you don't know it. Yeah. So you're not going to be good at it because you're learning. And he's like, Oh yeah. Okay. I'm like, it's the mistakes are inevitable in the process of learning. So I, I love that. There's no win or lose. There's win and learn. Yeah. Win and learn. That's one of my favorite things. Speaking of that, I'm so intrigued that I got so much I want to ask you and, and we'll, we'll talk about grief and recovery and all that kind of stuff as, as it goes along. But like the, um, so in a way I'm kind of, so I'm a Nashville songwriter and I, you know, I, and yeah, we have been very blessed and lucky. And then I, and then I've always had a little envy of the Texas artists because I feel like when I talked to Jack Ingram, who is our friendly common, like he, it's different, but it's very similar. It's just that, that we're like in this service lane of doing this working, like being creative and artistic, but for these other people. And you're in this service lane to the Texas audience. And they're both, it's a similar thing, but it's, um, you get to be, you get to express yourself probably a little bit more freely than say what I always do. But there are drawbacks, there are drawbacks to each and there's right. advantages. Right. So I'm just super curious <clears throat> about your, like what your day, month and year are like versus what my day, month and year are like, just a little bit. <laughs> uh, how, how far back do we want to get? <laughs> well, I mean, we both, well, first of all, how did, how, when did you know you wanted to do this? Um, <clears throat> so on the, on the path to avoid my destiny, I, I didn't want to, uh, be in college anymore. I was not enjoying myself. <laughs> like we said outside, it's like, I want the, I want their, everything needs to be about pleasing me and making, making life fun for me. So it was not fun going to college anymore. And, um, I realized that the playing guitar and, uh, and singing songs was, was people, people liked that. And it was like, there was money to be made there. And so I thought, oh, maybe I can make a living out of that because I see guys like Robert Earl Keen and Jack Ingram doing it, and I'm thinking, uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what it takes to get there, but I want to try to get there. And I like didn't didn't at all think that I had the the skills necessarily, but I had the determination. I was yeah. just like, I'm gonna I'm gonna figure this out. I can play four chords, five chords, and I can sing a little bit. And I like trying to write. So I was like, here, there's, you know, I'm you 20. You play well, by the way. I've seen you. I, I love a guy who plays his own guitar. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you. I, I, I love it. It's, you know, it's been, been something I've tried to get better and better at, but uh, I'm also lazy about it as well. So it's like, um, but the, you know, in college, it was, it was uh, second or third semester of college is kind of when I, I knew I wanted to do something that was music related and it was like i wrote my first song one of our fraternity brothers uh passed away um we had a we had a party and i was uh i was the key master and um he uh he i didn't give him his keys um and i he was clearly drunk and uh, a girl came up and said she's like i'm gonna drive his jeep i'm gonna take him home and i'm like you're driving she's like yes i said you're sober she said yes and i said all right so i gave her the keys 
Well, it turns out when she, she went out the door and walked around into the alley to go, and he tackled her and took his keys from her and he got in his car. And, and I never knew any of this. I get woken up at three in the morning and, and they're saying, where is he, where is he? I'm like, we talking about where is he? How am I supposed to know? They're like, I just got a call from DPS saying that he's died in a car wreck. He hit a tree. And, uh, and so, you know, he apparently was going somewhere and turned around and, came, and was coming back and fell asleep at the wheel. And that was really the first person that I had known that was like my age that, that passed away. And it just, it, it hit me really hard. And then like, there was this fear of guilt that, that it was my fault. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I wrote a, I wrote a song, just, just, just sat down and just kind of poured into this and just poured it out. Right. And so it wasn't a good song, but it was, that was your first real. song. Yeah. Way? Yeah. Damn, it was, it was real. Yeah. And then I put it on an album later and it's a, it's a, you know, uh, like a ghost track, but I mean, I say it wasn't a good song. I, I Which song was it? um, will you ever know? Yeah. And, um, I love the title. That's that's that first song coming from a place that heavy is right. That's kind of a cool introduction into it. In well, way, but. And, it, and I've always been Pat. Pat Green always says I'm the pensive one, so I'm always <laughs> I'm always like contemplating the eternal, you know, sub- substance of what we're doing. And so uh, that was kind of it, man. And as I wrote that, and then all, I played it, and for all my fraternity brothers, and they were all um, you know, touched by it. And then I it just sort of started making sense to me. And then I started writing other songs and they liked them. And then Pat and I got a couple of gigs at this uh, place in, in, in tech and everybody came out to see us. And it was just this tiny, it wasn't bigger than this room. It was like a hundred people in the place, 50 of our brothers and 50 of their girlfriends. And, and it was awesome. I made a hundred dollars that night. And this was in 1993. Yeah. You know? That was a lot. That was like, a great gig in 1993. Oh yeah. my gosh. We went to Taco Gabbana and I spent half of it. I bought everybody in there food. Pat went in there and spent a dollar. He got a water and a, and a dozen tortillas for, uh, for 99 cents. And I was just like, somebody's smarter here. Let me see. Who's going to burn through their money fast. Yeah. Yeah. Who's going to have a retirement and who's going to have to work till they're 90. Um, but that was it. That was kind of that was that was the launching pad, and then um, I've I've squandered so much of it. It's ridiculous. But I took off, and you know, as we were talking earlier, everything needed to be about me. I was always pointing to back my, my when I first came to Christ. My my buddy, um, who was actually the first member of my band, uh, walked me through my into my salvation, and uh, and he was talking about like the idea of it. I'm, I'm wearing a jersey with my name on the back of it. And everywhere I go, I'm like, look at me, look at me. Like the football players, like, it's all about me. And I was like, wow. And the word narcissism came up and pride and humility and all these things started kind of bubbling up in my sober face. And but, but uh, so I, I just, uh, I started off uh, moving to Austin and uh, giving it a shot, man, you know? And so fast forward 28 years, uh, a day in my life. (laughs) Um, I got five kids, my wife and I have, uh, five, uh, 11 to five years old, four boys and a little girl. So you waited a little bit to start. Yeah. She's, well, she's 10 and a half years younger than me. There you go. And, uh, there's, there's a, a plan to that too. Um, I figured it makes sense to find somebody that's uh, as mature as me. You probably should have gone even younger, but yeah, we'll go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So no, it, I only know because I relate to you. So yeah. I, girls my age are just like, you know, we, we never did get along. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were, they were, yeah, they were just looking at me going, you're a total disaster and what a mess. Um, so I, I fooled this one into thinking that I had it all together. 
uh, and then that all blew up in my face. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if I'm at home, we get up, she gets up. <laughs> I try to sleep in until like right before they leave and then get up and, and we have a little devotional and then they go off to school and, um, and then uh, we'll either do stuff together or we'll go our separate ways and try to knock out the honeydews and, and the things we need to do. I try to get some golf in there, try to work out. And um, if, uh, if I can, I'll work up a, a, a songwriting uh, getting together. But, but honestly, the, the songwriting part is something I have to like schedule more than I used to. It used oh, to yeah. be, I remember when I was by myself, I'd wake up and I'd be like, you know, set my cigarettes down, get, get my coffee down, get my Willie Nelson autobiography down. And I'd just get myself in this place and, and I'd pick my guitar up and all day long, I'd be trying to, to write, just come up with stuff. Yeah. And I'd have the recorder mm-hmm. and man, that's just, it's, did you have the old flat cassette player that you push play and record at the oh, same yeah. time? You yeah, yeah. Well, I had, I had go back that far, one, right? Two little speakers oh, yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I got this one with the little disc that you put in it. Yeah, and um, yeah. it had multi tracks. Oh wow! And so um, I would stay on one song, and I'd pull all the tracks down and go one track up, and I'd record for sixty minutes, and then I'd start the whole track over, and I'd go on the next track and record. So each each channel has 60 minutes worth and of- you missed nothing that way, but you, did you ever actually go back through all of that? Uh, no, no. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm just, just, like, like, it was recorded, knowing I was never gonna listen there. to it. It's there, it's there, I mean. I'm so OCD, I could never just like leave the recorder on. And then people that did that in the room, I'm like, oh, this is, first of all, I'm gonna get in trouble just for what I say. And then second of all, it's too much. Well, so, so going yeah, back, so going back when you were like, when you were a kid, cause I'm in, always interested, I came from so much church and religion that I literally had to leave that and find my door back to God in recovery because it was a lot. It was, we didn't have a television in my home ever. So you said you were Baptist. Where did you grow up? Super Baptist, Tampa, Florida. Um, A cult-like, charismatic Baptist church. So we spoke in tongues and screamed, running up and down the aisles and stuff and were slain in the spirit and all that. And we were Baptist, so it was really odd. So we had the whole uh, judgmental, they're not dressed properly thing, along with like almost snake handling. There were never actually any snakes, but but it's, it was almost that kind of vibe. A lot of, a lot of craziness. It's like that. We I wrote a song called Revival with a friend of mine, basically about that concept of the, the tent revival. With tent the revival. I've been to the tent revival. Never, definitely with the slain in the spirit. And I used to think, man, they're hitting them awfully hard in the forehead. Are they just knocking these people out? And the truth, truth. I, um, I was, uh, the, you know, the... The, the young people were on fire for God. I mean, we're talking about like teenage years. Right. And the older teenagers were wanting me to get my prayer language, which is when you speak in tongues. And I, and I by the way, if, if you're in a charismatic church, this is not like my friends and family are all from this and they'll be even a little angry at this story, but it's just to do it. And I mean, they were speaking tongues. Hey, that's not my hill to climb. I believe it's there. I just, I've never experienced it. Hey, my name's Paul and that's between y'all. It's not been real to me, but it's, it's, I was raised in it. So they're laying hands on me. Well, get your prayer language, speak in tongues. And it was just long and I was hungry and like tired and hot and sweaty. And they just kept praying for me. And I'm like, if I don't do something, they're going to stay here all night. I mean, there was a lot of endurance in that. And so, I mean, after like 15 minutes of them praying and laying hands on me, I just started blubbering yeah. gibberish. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, he got his, they celebrated, were high-fiving and hugging. Brad got his prayer language. And I just like, I did not get my prayer language. We get I need to get the hell out of here. Please keep your hands off me. And can I eat something? So that's kind of... Do they know this? <laughs> or are they finding out right now? They do now. <laughs> I don't even know who the actual people were at the time. But um, yeah, my, like my brother knows. We've had... 
the truth is, super well-meaning, uh, great people, but I came from so much of that that I had to go, yeah. the first time I did, let's just be honest, the first time I did cocaine and didn't get hooked, you know, I was like, well, this is garbage. I've been taught this box of lies about drugs. They said, if you do this once, you're going to be addicted. Now, I didn't really understand what was meant by addicted. I didn't do it again for months. So I figured that's not addicted. Not addicted. I'm not that's eating not, it every day. I didn't run out and, you know, and wind up in a ditch the, the next week. So I assumed that everything I taught, I was taught, had been BS. Oh, wow. Not true. You applied it to the whole. So when I came back to God, it was through recovery and, and, and alcoholism and 12-step programs and sponsors and the whole nine yards. And then I'm like, oh, this lines up totally with the actual Jesus and God in the Bible that I'm maybe not exactly what my mom thinks it ought to be all the time. But I realized that recovery had led me back to the Jesus that I knew to start with. But it was a big, big circle. It sounds like you started off maybe with less of that religion. For sure. And yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, mine, the, the way that I remember it and, and the way that I tell it is that, you know, we went to church on Christmas and, and Easter and those, those holidays. Uh, I was baptized Presbyterian um, and I had Baptist friends in, in elementary school and my best friend, uh, his parents are Baptist. And so my mom would let me spend the night at his house on Saturdays because I'm assuming because they'd get up and go to church on Sunday. So I'd go with them to church. And I, I remember wanting to get baptized because they baptize, they, they baptize people every Sunday there. You're getting in the water. And I'm like, man, I want to do that. Like, um, and we went to, we went to, to youth camp. Uh, there was Howard E. Butts. You heard of H-E-B grocery stores out of Texas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Howard E. Butts had um, uh, camps that he that he uh, funded, and one of them was called Laity Lodge, youth camps. And I went I went there when I was uh, young until, you know, a teenager. And then they had Young Life. It's another yeah, uh, organization, yeah. and I did that. So I was involved in all these things and actively, you know, trying to, to do these things. But when I'd come home, it wasn't it wasn't discussed. Like we didn't have a Bible. We didn't have, we didn't go to church. We didn't talk about Jesus. We weren't, and, and there wasn't a, a man in the house really leading me saying, this is what a good godly man looks like. This is what biblical man. Parents were divorced. Parents divorced when I was three. Yeah. yeah my mom remarried um, when, when I was 11. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it, it, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't there. Um, and, and, and then, and then by, when my mom remarried, uh, that that guy, uh, he liked to go to strip clubs. He liked to smoke pot, and he drank. And um, sounds fun when you're 13, right? Well, yeah. I mean, yes and no. Like we had this tumultuous. Like we were we were buttonhead because he he called me mama's boy. Like one of the first things he told me was shut up and call me mama's boy. And um, because my mom, I was I was you know kind of my mama's boy. Like, yeah. and so she had this this love for me and he was, he was threatened by it. And so, and he had, wow. man, I, I come to find out, man, his scars run, run super deep. I mean, his dad and, and mom basically just never shared any love with him. And, and he grew up, he had to go identify his brother's body. Um, when he was in his thirties, his brother had been stabbed, um, by a, a pimp in, in East Houston. And, and his mom would always talk about how wonderful his brother was. And, and he ended up starting a business out of, out of nothing, out of our backyard and garage, and turned it into one of the most successful companies in the city of Houston. Wow. And had took care of my, my mom, my oldest sister, my middle sister, who was uh, mentally and physically handicapped, and me. 
just took us on at the, I was 11. My, and it was 11, 13 and 15, something so like that. So he kind of felt like he earned the strip bars and the. I think probably he felt like all these things, but so, so that's the, that's the atmosphere I'm growing up in. There's not a lot of Jesus in there. There's not a lot of church in there. Okay, I don't want to interrupt you, but I have a couple thoughts, and I'm going to forget this. This is crazy, because when I see someone like you or like Casey Beathard, I don't know if you know Casey Beathard, he's a songwriter and actually a hugely successful uh, songwriter in Nashville. He also lost a child, and um, but he, he it wasn't super religious as a kid, and there's something about the blank slate that I hear from you. Mm-hmm. It was like, I'm in this dysfunction, and I see that as a way out, and so it's a more direct path. Whereas I was in that thing that you were looking as a way out, and it was dysfunctional. Therefore, and now, ten years, ten years in, into it, like I, I see that too. Yeah. And I and, and my wife and I contemplate this all the time with our kids. Like, how do we raise our kids that in the, in the, in the church or in in the body of Christ without it being dysfunctional, and then running away from it when they get to be late teens? Right. Right, because uh, when I see the, like that the blank slate thread. you have, it's yeah. like your 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 mind is clear, and it was like, oh, this answer. And I, I mean, it doesn't mean like don't take your kids to church, then they'll want to go later. Right. It sounds like a terrible thing to say, um, but it's true. We're, we're so flawed. Like the church is flawed because the church is run by by us people. Yeah, anything involving people is going to be flawed. <laughs> but it's amazing to me when I see the purity of how you looked at this, and the purity of how like Casey looks at this. Versus me who had to go through the, and, and it's, by the way, we, we make our choices, but there's something to be said for the the um, the lack of religion in our spirituality. And I know people, I, I, first of all, I hear the pastors that I, that I love and respect. Tim Keller's got this thing about the people that say they're spiritual but not religious are making an excuse for not being involved in the community. And I'm like, actually, I disagree with that a little bit, even though you're way smarter than me, because... The truth is the religion part of what I was raised in, it stops like we're my whole upbringing was literally just a, a ticket out of hell. It's all we talked about. Wow. You're going to hell for this. You're going to hell for this. And if you want to go to heaven, do this. Don't ever blaspheme. Or you're, by the way, then we're all going to hell because everybody said GD except my mom on earth. Um, you know what I mean? If you ever blaspheme. So we were we were given this like book of rules that don't really make any sense to me and my heart and what Jesus has become to me in the in the moments I hear it in your story, but I can tell you for sure in my story, I feel like Abraham Lincoln. I fall into my knees for there I had because I had nowhere else to turn. Like I found Jesus for real, for real, for real. I was a Christian. I've been sober 17 years. But when my son passed away, I had nowhere else to turn. That was it was either me going completely nuts and going to jail, or we were gonna be close because I believe God didn't pro I do not pray for things. I don't pray for lists of like give me this or 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 uh, you know, let me win this game or let me buy this car. I just right. give me the strength to carry your will out. Give me the strength to want your will. To Walk be the man that you say I'm supposed to be, to be or you see the man that you say I can be. Yeah, yeah. And and to, take my hand and walk it. And that's become, I had to get here to find it. And it's, I almost let religion ruin that possible relationship that I have now with God. And I'm like, wow, man, how much have we maybe not been loving and not been understanding and forgotten what, the judgment, if there's whatever the judgment is, he'll take care of that. We don't have to do it for him, you know. And um, yeah, I, I just, I, I'm sorry. I feel like I kind of interrupted no, your, your thing, all, but man. there is something very interesting about the people that were raised with less of the, the religious baggage. Yeah, I, I was listening to a song. Um, my wife put together this uh, 
playlist uh, when she was, her mother passed in 17. And so, and they were super close and it was, it was sort of somewhat on, uh, it was, it was, it was, you know, not, not expected. It was in, in surgery. And, and so it was a, it was a, it was, it was really hard on her. She had uh, MS and they took some experimental medication. Um, and it began a process of, of horrible, uh, results. And then they ended up removing all of her intestines and she had like this much of her colon left and they kept, and it kept getting worse and worse. And they finally were going to put her in a, in a bag and they went in and it was just the, the situation. I'm not, it just was, it, she ended up not making it out of the surgery. And so, um, it, and it took a, that began a, a journey for her, you know, m my infidelities and, and my, my life, uh, outside of my marriage while I'm married, um, led to, to my journey to Christ. And, and, um, and this, this tragedy of her losing her mom led to her uh, having a, a new journey, uh, of really, really truly discovering, uh, Christ. And so, um, she put this playlist together and I was decided to listen to it this morning before I come here. And there was one of these songs and it's, uh, it, it says worship is more than a song and it talks about the different things that you can make your idol. Anything that you love with all your heart is an idol. Anything that you can't stop thinking about is an idol. And, and, and that worship that it singing, uh, is, is, you know, that's not necessarily all there is to worship that, that worship is, is like, it, the idol needs to be him. So the constant thought process is, how can I be what you were saying? How can I be all, how can I live out your will with my life? How can I live this example for you? Um, but you're, you're, my mind's like spinning with all these thoughts I wanna get out, but um, I, I kinda go back to uh, what I wanna be. Like, I don't want my kids to grow up in that that environment where they end up running away from it. And I don't want them to not grow up with it at all. And so I, I, we're coming back to what I want, right? I'm trying to control the situation, right? That's true, Dale. Right. How do we wind up back there? Right, right. right. Yeah. And we always end up there, right? Yeah. We always end up there. We're always, it's always me trying to fix it, me trying to control it. And so it's, it, it ends up saying, I got to let go. Like, like with that, that uh, crew member, you know, I had to just, I had to treat it with, with love and compassion. And so, um, the best advice that I get is just uh, stop trying to, to to fix these things, and like you say, just live out God's will. So if you if you are the example, then they'll see that, and they, they're picking up what did they say more is caught than taught. Oh my God! Yeah, they watch more than they listen. They're they're picking yeah. up stuff, yeah. and, and even if it's not your kids, it's the other kids around you. It's 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 a, and it's your friends, it's other people. Like if if we will just live the way. That, that God's putting on our heart and in, in our in our souls and convicting us, if we'll let ourselves be convicted to the point that we're on our knees on a regular basis, mm -hmm. man, then that's gonna that's gonna blossom. That's gonna be fruitful, and people are gonna see that. And and we don't have to do anything. Like yeah. talk about taking the pressure off. That that is that's a great point because I um I have three sons and they all couldn't be any more different. They couldn't be any more different. And 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 in some ways, they're yeah. exactly alike. It's weird. In some ways, they'll look alike. But they there just couldn't be more different in other ways. And uh, it relieves a little bit of the pressure on me as to 
what happens that I have to, by the way, if my, if my motives are in the right place and I'm doing the right thing for the mm -hmm. right reason, like I'm the kind of hard worker that wants to work really hard so that I can be lazy, right? I don't, it's that, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I know exactly okay. what you mean. So it's like getting out of it. Uh, just being done and okay, the life and even kind of with retirement, you know, it's, what are we retiring from? Uh, we're supposed to love this. I want to go play golf every day. And I'm like, if I do all these things and I'm like, if I get 30 minutes on the driving range, I'm good. I'm like, right. that's my, I, right. uh, whatever. And, and the truth is with the, with the parenting, like just, just staying the course. Like I've had moments where I didn't think I could parent the other children that I have because we lost one and they're, you know, they're kind of gone now. But the truth is I'm a better parent because I'm, I wouldn't say I'm not as involved. Well, they're 18 and 22. The the ones that are they're still here on earth with us, and the the one in heaven is 24. But I don't have as much control. I know that I don't have as much control, so I'm a little bit more of like an advisor. Well, yeah. And life, and I stop trying to put my fingerprints on everything, and surrender a little bit, and now they can be peaceful and honest with me, and not have to have that father son tension of I got I can't let dad down, man. I. I my youngest one, he got to be here on the years that, that post our oldest son died. He's like, Dad, I'm worried I'm not going to make enough money. I'm like, what, what, are you, what are you talking For what? about? For what? And he said, I mean, you're 18. So, well, I don't know. Whatever I do, I mean, just, I, mean I just hope I make enough money. I said, make enough money for what? And he said, I, I don't know. I mean, Williamson County, by the way, where we live, a little too, little too focused isn't on that. that. Isn't that the, the, the constant pressure is like constant? It, 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 and you're like, wait a minute. Have I ever gone a day without like really being able to to eat and, and sleep and like so I said I got a perfect and this I'll give this to all kids that age I'll give this to all kids that age no it's, I said I'll tell you how to not worry about how to know that you're going to make enough money don't worry about what anyone thinks you're fine because I guarantee you you'll eat I, hell you you could if you really want to be step brothers you can live with me till you're 40 and you can eat which I had I never was gonna they're gonna move out when there's I'm like okay Move in with me if you if you want, but you're gonna eat. You drive a car with air conditioning. You're going to college or in a fraternity. Believe me, you're fine money wise. The only thing that can affect you is worrying about what other people think. That's our whole program. Our whole program is doing things that impress people. We don't care much about. Yeah, what the hell? What what if we? You know. Okay, I got so many things going on in my mind. One I want to address. Um, uh, the Salton Sea, for one thing, is don't let me forget that. And then the other thing is, um, uh, you had said, so they're they, eighteen and twenty-two respectively. Yeah. So, um, have you ever heard of the the? I think it's the three C's or the four C's of parenting. So, and it starts when they're infants. You're, you're the caregiver, mm -hmm. um, and then you're the cop when they get a little <laughs> bit older, right? You got to be the cop, yeah. and then when they get a little bit older. You're the coach, mm -hmm. and then when they get a little bit older, you're the counselor. Yeah. So it's the four C's of, of parenting. Yeah. And it, I'm the counselor now. There's an order. You're the yeah. counselor now. Yeah. Once they move out, you're counselor. Yeah. Your coach when they're in their teenage years, oh, your yeah. cop up until about 12 or whatever. I mean, I think I was coach second, cop third, coach, but whatever. Kind of coach or kind of but it sounds like you're in that yeah. stage. Yeah. That's, that's helped me a lot. Um, because we have, we have some now where it's like, you know, it, it's caregiver cop for most of them. Yeah. Um, but there's one we're going into cop, two of them, we're going to cop coach, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, they're starting to graduate to that third and it's like, oh man, I'm losing my, I'm losing that little, you know, this one that wants to come up and like snuggle and, um, yeah, the hug stop a little bit. Like, wait, what's so to the, to the point of your, you, uh, you end up 
worrying about what other people think and people that you don't even care about. There was a, um, uh, Val Kilmer was in a movie called The Salton Sea. Did you ever see it? I did. Uh, my whole life is basically movie quotes. I've, I've watched so many movies I can't even see straight. Are you kidding me? I make a living repeating movie quotes. <laughs> what are you talking about here? John Carroll's got a T-shirt. He's my he's been in my band. He's one of my longest friends uh, musically, but he's a my guitar player, and he's like, um, it, this is this is truly a God given gift. This guy's like, I mean, it, it, I've never seen anybody. He's he's Eddie Van Halen on the guitar without practicing. Wow. And 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 truly, like he can do he can do he can do. Who's it? Eric Johnson. He can do anything. Oh, wow. He can play anything he hears. He can play, and it's just a download, and he understands it. And it's it's like it's it's so fun to hang with him. He's like, oh yeah. I'm like, uh, so anyway, um, but he has a T-shirt that says, uh, "I speak fluent movie quotes." So, <laughs> Salt and Sea, Val Kilmer. He's a uh, um, he. He had. Uh, Gosh, I'm trying to remember the whole premise. Basically, I think he his wife was murdered, and he's trying to find out who did it. And so he ends up going deep undercover himself. He's not a cop or anything, but he goes into the into the realm of the drug world and becomes a, 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 what they call GAC, uh, cocaine, becomes a cokehead and, and lives with this whole group of people that all they do is cocaine. They're always out to get cocaine, and they're living in this world. And he's got this room. One scene is this room of these people, and they're all they're all high on coke. And they're playing guitar, and they're talking, and they're—you know how it goes. They're playing really fast. And they're, but yeah, but they're all like, they're everything's really great. Things. You're great. Oh, that's a great idea. It's just everything's Everybody's the best. Everything's the best, right? And so he's—it's this room, and it's so recognizable because they—they they portrayed it so well on the screen, like what that looks like when everybody in the room's high on cocaine. You're all doing coke, and you're all—you're lifting each other up, and it's like. I'm watching the movie. I'm just going, oh my gosh! And he says this quote that's I just it just like burned in me. He goes, he goes, you you spend the you spend the evening um, professing your love to this person that you barely know and your undying devotion to. When the next morning, when you wake up and sober up, you wouldn't walk across the street to piss on them if they were on fire. Yes. And I was like, yes. oh my gosh, that's. Like the conviction of the reality, the truth of that is like so, it, it, it makes me feel horrible because like, I've thought that. It goes back to the whole, it's all about me, satisfy me. Like I don't think anything about that person. I just want what they've got. And then, oh man, there's so Heaping those compliments and expecting to get them back. We had a keyboard player named Rob Stoney once and he looked like Greg Allman. He played like Greg Allman actually. He's brilliantly talented, but he used to say, hey, let's go get high and talk about how great we are. And I'm like, at least he's admitting he's before he's we're high about, yeah. what we're really doing this. Let's go get high and talk about how great we are. Because that's really what it was. Coke talk is the most BS I think I've ever witnessed in, in God's world. I kind of want to I kind of want to be around it sober. I kind of do. Oh, but, man. I, you haven't had one yet? No, I literally I've been had around to, somebody on cocaine when I'm sober. I've never seen it since I got sober, like seen them doing it. But I can tell I have, man, I've got, first of all, I can well, smell it. I can smell it on the on the soccer mom's uh, really? breath at the at the things, and I can I can see coke in anyone's jaw doing their thing, and so I've literally right. been at a at a thing, you know, chewing your jaw off, oh, wow. and I have literally stopped someone and said, "Man, I'm sober and I can't do coke talk. Call me tomorrow." Wow. And I've walked away from him because the spit's flying everywhere, and I'm the greatest at something, whatever it is. I'm either the greatest guy or the greatest guitar player or something in the world that they can't stop saying. And, and I'm like, no, I can't do Coke talk. I'm out. I, you'll see it once I and you'll hate it. I swear I could smell it when it rained. 
like when it when it was wet outside. I swear that's like when I smelled it. It was crazy. Yeah. I, I actually put that in a in a song. Like kind of like diesel. Something had something would permeate my nostrils. <laughs> when you uh, when you so w- when you left college to start playing, it's funny. I I. I Quit in my third year of junior college. <laughs> but no, I actually graduated from junior college. That was college. me. I was third, third year. It was my fifth yeah. semester. I actually enrolled in that semester, but never went to class. My mom, yeah. was, my mom was like, yeah, my brother will be like, for that semester. Yeah. Okay, mom. Yeah, you'll get it back. Take it out of my inheritance. Yeah. But, but did that coincide with the substance? No. No, no. no. The, the, all that came. Uh, before I forget, Ray Wiley Hubbard said, um, I, I didn't use the cocaine to get high. I just like the way it smelled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We really sad. I don't really like cocaine. I just like the way it smells. Right, right. Um, no, the um, the substance abuse. So when I got to college, um, and, and where I came from, like uh, the only thing you did was drink. You, we didn't smoke cigarettes. We didn't smoke weed. If you smoked, if you smoked weed, you're a drug addict. Like you're you're a total loser, right? And so, you know, if you drank and, and you were cool, cigarettes kind of not so cool. So pivotos sort of like in between. But um, if you if you smoked weed, total loser. So I got to college and like. Somebody was like, man, you should try this pot. You should try it. I'm like, man, I don't, know. I don't know. What does it do? What does it do to you? I'm like, oh, it just makes everything funny and you get hungry. And I'm like, that sounds stupid. And I'm like, yeah, but and everybody's laughing. They're having a good time. I'm like, okay, I'll try it. And sure enough, man, we went downstairs and ate everything out of this guy's, and he was so pissed. Like, we ate all of his food. And when you're in college, you know, every every dollar counts and every bit of food counts. Every Twinkie's important we, in that cupboard, right? We, we, this guy's, like, whole, you know, his, uh, his um, what do you call it, allowance for the week. What did you think about weed? Um, it was fun. I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. I didn't, I, I got paranoid. Never really I, liked it, yeah. I didn't like the way that it, that it made me paranoid, but... Um, there were different kinds of weeds that, and I feel like that's what's happened is you get, you, you try different weeds and some weeds are like, man, this is fun. Yeah. Like I'm enjoying this. Like, and, and, and then there's some weeds which is like, I, I, and I, I always wondered if it's just a state of mind of, am I totally at peace with myself or is there a bunch of stuff that I'm dealing with? And is this bringing out? Have you ever noticed that people do the drug they need the least like the guy that's really mellow and kind of laid back and lazy, he loves weed. And the guy that's really intense and hyper, he loves coke. Like we do, I, I didn't really like weed. I probably could have used some, to be honest. At the end of the day, I, I didn't like it. Uh, I, I could tell, because you're, if you're a cocaine guy, you're really not a weed weed guy. I love Maybe it's a cover. I loved ecstasy and I loved cocaine. Yeah, I wasn't right. going to the gondola guy. I and mean, that's what I needed the least. Yeah. You, you strike me as the kind of guy who... I like... I like for my mind to be working and I like to be right, somewhat, right. somewhat in charge of what's going on, right? If, if, and with weed, I felt completely out of control too. waiting for this thing that's happening to me to wear off. The irony is with Coke, I felt totally in control and I was just as out of control. I just felt more in control. Like it definitely got me out of DUIs. The Coke. Like, yeah. It straightens. Yeah, I mean, and it, that's, it it's, did. It's, I, I mean, you're just sloppy, and then you're not sloppy. I can smell the alcohol on you, but you but you look like you're sober, and I'm like, holy cow! Because your eyes are this big around. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the the last one that I got, um, I had was so drunk, and then just did so much coke and went driving and got pulled over doing 120, and he's like, uh, "Don't tell me that you haven't had anything to drink because I can smell it from here." And I was like, "I've had a couple." And he goes, a couple? I go, man, a couple, I don't know, one or two, three shots. And he goes, why don't you step out? And, and I'm like, 
and I had just done some, so I'm like, I can totally pass this test. And I step out of the car and I'm like, you know, the thing. And he's like, yeah, no. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait, let me try again. Let me try again. Let me go back to the car for a second. Let me try again. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a quick picture. Give me a, give me a, you look that way. Let me try this again. My, my, my sponsor is, uh, yeah, he's got a great story. He's riding a motorcycle home. He's lit. It's all crazy. And he gets pulled over by a cop and he's just thinking, okay, do I tell him Did I tell him like how much I had to drink? Cause everyone says two, maybe if I say three, that's better. Or maybe I said just had one, but it was recently or say I had three, but it was a long time an hour ago. And he's thinking of what to say. And the cop comes up and says, Hey, where's your helmet? And he goes two. <laughs> you know? and that was his, you know, that was, that was his go to jail moment. So he got to go to jail at night and start getting sober. It's like those, the bad night, just like the win and learn thing, win or learn, the bad night is usually the start of the best scenario for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I, I, I wished when I when I tell my story, I, I always I wished that that night, like I, I get I got hit over the head so many times yeah. and so many opportunities to to figure it out, um, and and uh, what we call them wake up calls. My wife and I call them wake up calls, and I had I had lots of them. I went to the um, you kept hitting snooze, didn't you? That's good. <laughs> you know, you kept hitting the snooze button. I went to the um, the seventh floor of the Methodist Hospital in downtown Houston, which is essentially where you go when you've just completely lost it all, you know. And um, it's rehab, and it's it's depression, and it's all those things. And they send you in there, and they clean you up, and you go into this room with all these people, and they come in, and it's a group therapy session, and I'm sitting there. And they're telling me that they've got these drug addictions and they're showing lines and they've contracted AIDS and they're dying. And it's just these, these horrible scenarios. And I'm looking around this room and I'm like, I am, uh, I quit college because I, I was lazy and I smoke too much weed and I drink too much. And I'm disappointed that my musical career hasn't gone in, in the direction as fast as I want it to go. But I, I have food, I have money to pay my bills and I'm playing music with my friends running up and down the road and I'm in here because, oh yeah. And like, those are real problems and that should have been a wake up call for me. And, it, and they always, like you say, snooze, that's good because it lasted a little while. I would clean up for a little bit and then you you start thinking, I can I can fit this back in my life. Like They do matter too, by the way. The pause steps, I do think matter because well, yeah, it's a it's yeah. a step up to yeah. a little more clarity the next time, yeah. Yeah. but man, it 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 was in uh, there were there were there were drugs and alcohol related in my last one, but um, it was it was more of the threat to uh, my marriage and my family that was that was the wake up call for me because because you go back to the very beginning when you said you know parents divorced my parents divorced when I was three, my mom my dad's parents divorced when I was two. Um, my father remarried and divorced again when I was like nine. Um, and, and it's, and it's like, there's this prevalence of, of infidelity and divorce in my family. And, um, I just had this growing up of saying, I'm never, never going to get divorced. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to be a part of my life. If I get married, it's going to be, I'm going to find the right woman, which mm -hmm. is another lie. Yeah. <laughs> and she's going to make everything right. And she's going to fix all my problems and I'm never going to get divorced. I'm going to wait and find the right woman. And, uh, and so, it, it was it was such a big deal to me that um, when it came down to it that day, it was uh, you know it was it was all on the table and and my wife kind of 
she helped me see something recently, which is, I just, I love this about, um, about marriage. It's not a, um, we got married and I, I, uh, stopped learning and studying her and spending time, like figuring her out. Like I'm realizing I have to continue my education and my wife because mm-hmm. she's wow. changing and I'm changing yeah. and, and we have to go through these changes together or we're going to go through them apart. And, and I see people getting divorced and stuff, but she, she kind of helped me open my eyes recently and see that I'm sometimes I, when I'm telling my story, I kind of get into this. I'm just, uh, regurgitating what I know to say. But one of the things I, I said is like, when it all came down to it, she's like, tell me what's what's going on. I know there's something going on. And if you lie to me, I, I'll know, and then we're done. But if you tell me the truth, we might, we might have a chance. And I'm sitting there with a, like a one and a half year old and a two month old. And I'm just, I'm like, uh, you know, what, what do I do? What do I do? Like, what, what do I tell her? Because she thinks it's one thing and it's like a bunch of things and I don't know what it is. And I'm sweating and I'm freaking out. And I say that there was this light that came through the ceiling and there was like mm-hmm. there little, there was, and I felt it. And I, I heard tell her, you know, like tell her everything. And then, so I start, she's pointed out to me. I didn't just like give in and like come clean. I was like, how do I get out of this? I heard that voice saying, tell her everything. And I'm like, okay, what does that look like? I don't want to tell her everything. Like, I'm going to try to figure out how to get around that. What's the difference between giving up and surrendering? I used to, I used to sponsor on the homeless guy. He's awesome, awesome old guy, former gangster, like real gangster. And uh, he said, the difference between giving up and surrendering, he said, when I would be climbing a fence and there's cops behind me and I knew I wasn't getting over that fence, I just give up. All right, you got me. Right. He said, surrender was when I pulled this shit out of my sock and gave it to him. Right. Instead of hoping they wouldn't find it. That surrender is the giving of the thing that hasn't been. Full convicted confession. Here you go. So I'm not holding anything back. It was not a a voluntary surrender. It ended up being to where now it's like, uh, it's it's surrendering on a regular basis. Kind of like, say, I've done this, you know, and, and, and like, but the, yeah, it was, it was I, I, I guess it was more of a giving up instead of a surrendering at that moment. And, and it took her kind of like seeing this over the last 10 years of me telling the story and her listening to me tell it and going, that's not, you know, that's what, you, what you're saying. You're talking out of both sides of your mouth. You're saying you, you were saved in that moment that you surrendered to God, but you're basically saying that you didn't because you're trying to find a way around it. And I was, I was trying to find a way around it. How do I get out of this situation? And, and that thing creeps in. That's a daily thing. By the way. That's the one thing I like about 12 step deal. It's, it's one day at a time. And we do grow past that day. I remember when my wife called me and just said, I'm done with you. And it was very calm and it scared the hell out of me because she was like, there's always this yelling me throwing something across the room fight. This was calm. It was collected. Done. I'm going to take you. I'm going to drive you to rehab. And That's like when your parents say, I'm not mad at you. I'm disappointed. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, by the way, I didn't care about the parents were disappointed. This was crushing. You your, know what wife, I mean? your wife calmly <laughs> saying we're done. It's just calm. I mean, it was like, oh, oh, this is. And I was like, oh, I'm going to die. And I realized my babysitter was retiring. And I'm, I'm like, I'm really going to die now. I'm going to overdose or what, what, whatever it was. You've, you've said this a couple times now. It's like that. And then I totally relate to this. My, my thought process was either I find out that God is real 
and, and, and I give my life to him and he sets me free or I'm going to go get overloaded and, and I'm going to end up in a ditch or, or both. Like I, I don't see a way out of this for me that, that, uh, where I remain doing the things that I'm doing because clearly it's destructive. Clearly it doesn't work. And I keep coming back to the same spot. I I kept getting arrested. I kept ending up in being depressed. I kept ending up trying to say, I need to get rid of these things in my life. And it's like, no man, now it's, what, what do you care about the most? Like I care about my family and my marriage. Okay. Well, that's on the table now. Everything else is like possibly on the table. Your career is possibly on the other things, but like now the thing you covet the most, yeah. the idol, that's the, the real life changer, in, is is on the table. So what are you gonna do? I'm gonna go. Okay, well, and and I try to get around it, try to figure out how to. And it's like, mm-hmm. and then then I made a call to my friend, and and um, and we went to lunch, and um, and then it all started from there. And I was like. Okay, I, I have to be. I have to figure this out. I have to. I have to go down this road and figure out if God's real or not. How many times did you get arrested? Thirteen. For what? <laughs> mostly for. I mean, that, you can't just be one thing, right? No, mostly for. Um, well, I have. A, I have unlawfully carrying a weapon, public intoxication. Um, uh, I had a DWI with possession of cocaine, um, and then uh, the most of them were. Uh, I would get speeding tickets. And then I wouldn't pay them, and they go to warrant. So I'd get I'd get arrested. I'd get pulled over for speeding, and I had a they warrant for my arrest for the last time that I sped that I didn't pay the ticket. It's hard <laughs> for me to marry that with the guy I see sitting in front of me, but I get it because I mean, you know, yeah, I, I mean this. I love to drive fast, and I I collect them. Like I'd get three or four because you get you get them in different places, and they don't catch up to you. Different states or different cities? Just different cities and towns. Like you, you get, okay. I get a speeding ticket and it's like from the sheriff. Well, the sheriff doesn't have the DPS connection. Back then they didn't. Yeah. If it was a DPS officer that I got pulled over. For, I, I'm, but eventually it came around to you, right? That's why you would be. Well, right. Yeah, because, surprise you know, arrest? Yeah, because they'll, they'll, they'll run your deal and it's like, hey, we've got four warrants for your arrest. And I'm going, four? Man, that's that's pretty good. That's, that's like a record. That's that I got last and time. And I said, man, I got a show tonight. I said, I'll make enough money to pay for these. Can I? Can you wait and arrest me after the show? And they're like, no, dude, we got to take you down. Oh, really? They, oh. I missed my show. I missed one show because, you know, I got arrested. I feel kind of good because we only got arrested one time. And I, I did, yeah, they let us go in the next day. And Oh, man. I, I've, I've told my kids that I've been arrested 13 times, all, all five of them. And they're just like. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, trust me. <laughs> yeah, this you don't want you don't want to go down this road like this yeah. is a bad daddy made lots of bad choices and pay your life. tickets daddy made lots of bad poor choices I mean you know, it's, it's so funny my brother and I were talking about this morning just all the craziness and all the bad decisions that you made led to this point yeah. and then and then now you're now you're this guy you know now you're helping other people now you're you're showing your kids the right way to to live and Trying. You're being well. I mean, by the way, we're not. None of us are going to be perfect. But you're you're in that spot, and it's just amazing. And I just sometimes I wonder why God let some of us make it through the the thirteen arrested yeah. bad decisions, yeah. and why other of us don't. And I feel like that His grace is bigger than what I was taught it was growing up. Like there's a bigger amount of grace. And some people, He said, "I'm going to pull you out of the game early because this is going to get really whatever it is." Whatever his reasoning, or maybe he doesn't even pull out of the game. Maybe he just lets it happen, knowing that he'll walk with us here and there. I think there's, I think there's a bigger. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. 
So there really is, it's sort of a futile effort for us to try to contemplate what he's thinking and what his plan is and where, where he's at, which leads us back to take my hands off of trying to fix it for my kids, take my hands off of trying to, to be the role model for everybody else, take my hands off of trying to figure out why he let somebody pass before me. Why didn't he take me? Why did, why did he take my child? Why didn't he take me? Like, take my hands off of that and be in this particular moment right now and be his and surrender and that's it. And 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 just kind of walk in that and that just fills you up. Amen. That is exactly that is exactly where I am on a good day. What you just said. On a good, on a good day. You know, hey, there's days I wake up and I want to take the reins back. But the truth is, I'm it's kind of there's some advantages to being dumb, right? <laughs> you know, I know I can't figure it out. I don't have his thoughts, thoughts are are are, are not my thoughts. And I, not trying to figure it out, I, I wind up with the, the uh, discussion with the theologian, the Bible teacher, they know everything. Yeah. Man, they seem worked up about a lot. I'm like, you know, I don't know. I'll tell you this. I can feel, I love when, when uh, Matthew McConaughey was on Joe Rogan and he said, I'm not sure what to do with the burning bush, but I'm pretty sure what to do with love your brother. You know, love your name. And I thought, I love Matthew McConaughey. That's a really good way to look at, I, there's enough for me to worry about with what you just said, then to try to figure out exactly what the meaning is. You know, all the people you, you see and, and know, you can look at a guy like Matthew McConaughey and, and there's, you, there's all kinds of video footage of him. You could look through all the video footage and then you can actually meet him. And, and who in the world would you say is probably the most at ease he probably he'd probably be up there in the top five. Or, you know, I know a lot of famous guys, and I don't know him well. He's at peace. But right? my God, I've, I've met him, and he is pretty at peace. He is at peace. He's pretty at peace. And he's no preacher, and he's no theologian. You know, but he, although I think he thinks he's both. Oh, he may. He may. He may. <laughs> I, I, you know, my my brief meeting with him was was you know, it's the starstruck thing. But he was there is a certain amount of peace, though. You are correct, and there. I mean. We're all we're all just doing the best we can in in a lot of ways. There's um, there's no magic, you know. We, we've we're in this, basically the same business, just uh, geographically different, and we have a uh, you know kind of a different take on what we do every day. But we're surrounded or, or run into like excessive wealth and fame yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah, and um, it's not that I find wealthy, famous people to be more unhappy or no. more. It's just the same. It's the same. Jim Carrey said that once. Right. I wish everyone could be rich and famous for a minute so they can understand that it's not the answer to anything. That's a great. That's a great quote. And it, it, the relativity of it, it's like it's it's relative. Like I'm I'm rich and famous compared to some people that I know, I, and they they look at me think I'm rich and famous, right? And so they're like, how could you have any problems? And I'm like, wow, that's a pretty good like setback and and, and put into place. But I love. One of my favorite things is to see somebody who's ridiculously wealthy uh, love the Lord. Like to, to just like have that, like I love Jesus and I'm also a great businessman and I'm maybe a cutthroat businessman, but like I'm shrewd and I'm wealthy and I love the Lord. And it's like to see them do things with that wealth and with their time that's, um, that's uh, beneficial uh, to the church, which is, you know, all of us, right? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. so, 
I, I, and I feel like I don't see that very often, but when I do, I'm, I get excited. A friend of mine just came to my mind when you said that. I wonder if that's because like I want to be wealthy because it's that mindset of like you want you feel like you want that like like that's sort of the the goal. I think culturally, I want to be wealthy because I'm still the little kid with out of style jeans and a haircut that my mom gave me with a Tupperware bowl and paper scissors. And I feel bad about myself and I want to give double middle fingers to the world and say, I've succeeded. Definitely. There's definitely that. And that is, a, and then, and then on a good day, that's the bad day, right? And on a good day, I just want to, I want to stay out of debt because I, I want to not worry. I want to not worry about debt or like what's, what I'm going to leave. So, kids. so by the way, I'm, I'm a, I am a really, really frugal kind of Dave Ramsey, very disciplined yeah. guy with finances. Always have been. I'm, I'm you know, no debt. And I'm very, I'm, I don't have the most money in the world, but I'm healthy and live within my means. That being said, that feeling that we want, the fear of economic insecurity to yeah, leave, yeah. doesn't really have anything to do with money. Because how many times have you could, I could, if I could just on God or move the goalposts, like if right. I could just, yeah, if I, I could would, just make a million dollars, I, I will never worry about it ever again. But I'd live outside of those means. Like I would just step out into. And if you were, if it's lower, you'd live outside of those means. If it's higher, yeah. so those things. It's true. It doesn't really have to do with money. It's uh, my wife's always like, it's going to be okay. Like we're, it's going to be okay. And the, you know, and I and I say in my mind, not to her, but she's sitting over there. Uh, I I say I say it's going to be okay because I'm going to make everything okay. Right. <laughs> that's why it is, and that's not really true. It's gonna really be okay because, I, by the way, we are we are victim to our the consequences of of the actions that we put in. But the truth is, none of it's really that big of a deal. Like you said earlier, we've already addressed it. I don't even know anyone that's hungry. I don't know anyone that's missed a meal ever that unless they were trying to fast. Man, I, I had these weird. So last night, I decided I'm gonna to go to Wendy's. <laughs> You fasted all day though, right? I fasted. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm gonna go to Wendy's because I want like a. Well, actually, I decided I was going to the to the uh, convenience store because I was gonna get some ice cream. And then on the way to the convenience store, I saw so your Wendy's. diet was screwed already. I saw Wendy's, and I'm like, I'm gonna just go to Wendy's and I get a frosty and good. maybe like some fries. Well, the line was like a 45 minute wait, and once you're in, you're you're stuck. And on the way out, I saw this uh, this homeless guy sleeping on the street next to my car, and I thought, I'm gonna get that guy something to eat, right? I want to, I'm going to Wendy's. I'm going to, I'm at Wendy's. I'm like, I'm going to get this guy. So I sack up a burger. And while I'm in line, another homeless person comes up and tries to talk to me and I wave them off. And as soon as I wave them off, they went and they started walking off and I'm going, ah, but to the least of these, if you treat, you know, and I'm just go, I, I'm sitting there trying to pat myself on the back for going to feed this guy sit next to my car and then when somebody comes and walks up to me and I have another opportunity, I wave them off. I'm like, and I, I rolled my window down and I, and they, they were gone, they were out of, out of earshot. And so it was like, I missed that opportunity and just, it just sat there and weighed on me and weighed on me. And when I got back with my sack of a burger and fries for this guy, I go, hey man. And he goes, hey, he goes, I'm not hungry. I don't need any food. And I go, you, you're not hungry? He goes, no, thanks. And I was like, Ah, thanks a lot. Okay, what's I don't know what I'm supposed to get from this, but I got something. That's I, big because what what it is is I I have set my mind on I'm going to feed that guy, but I'm not feeding this one. Right? Yeah. This person oh, no, wanted to talk to me and, and be like up up in my in my yeah. business. I was going to go. 
be kind to them in their world. Yeah. This lady wanted to come up and like, I don't know what she wanted, but I didn't give her the time of day. And I'm just like, fudge sickles, man. I, I don't think that we are ever going to get that perfect, but that's an, inter- that's an interesting observation because it's kind of like, um, it's loosely related to the, like the, the guy that's in a flood and he's on the roof of his house and the water's rising and he's like, God save me. And, save me. You know, I sent you sends, a boat and a helicopter. Sends him a boat and a helicopter. And sometimes it's like, oh, I want to be of service. And depending on my mood, I'm going to give the, the homeless person on the corner $20 or I'm going to be annoyed. that I'm not making eye contact with you because I'm busy. I'm in a hurry. Thank God the windows are tinted. I don't have time for this today. And I'm actually annoyed that they want to do that. And it's just based on, once again, people stop, stop driving well when I'm in a hurry. And and I, I don't know if we ever arrive at that. This is a this is a process, not an event. But in, in the life life is is a gosh. So I'm on the board of the Salvation Army in Austin, and and we talk about the panhandlers, and uh, and not to give them money because there are programs there 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 are places for them to go to get food and get to get shelter, and it's it's they're they're taken care of if they want to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. So they make a choice to be on the street asking for money, saying that they trying to feed their family and all these things. And, and so the, the, the mentality is don't feed that. And I, you know, you, you take all this information and you try to process and, and decide what, what's, right, what's right or wrong. My, my best friend, who's also my manager <clears throat> was telling me, he goes, man, I just, he goes, hang on. He's talking to him on the phone. He goes, hang on here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And I said, what'd you do? He goes, I just gave that guy 20 bucks. I was like, what guy? He goes, oh, it was this homeless guy. And I was like, why'd you do that? And he goes, I don't know. It was just on my heart. He goes, man, I was, you know, at the Bible study this morning. And it's like, if if, uh, you give to the least of these, like you're, you you just don't know where he is. Right. And so Jesus is, is, is probably that lady that I shunned off last night. Right. He's all of them. And, and so it's all of us. It was just a, it was just such a, it's, it's a wake up call. And what I love about all this is like these conversations and these moments that I have, all these revelations, they're, they're little tiny revelations on a regular. When I'm surrendering, right, and saying, God, like, convict me. Um, so you, you have these constant things. It's like when you pray for patience, God isn't going to magically make you patient. He's going to give you a situation where you have to use I'd never pray for patience. That is a sucker's bet. Right? Don't do that. But you're getting ready to have a hard day when you pray for patience. Right. My, yeah. my mother-in-law would say, be careful what you what you yeah. pray for because oh. God's a faithful God and he doesn't answer yeah. the way that you think he's going to answer. And I always say, God, break me and remake me. Like, break me down and completely remake me. Yeah. And she's like, ooh, you be careful with that one. Man, I need to do that more often because, you know, those those little revelations are are the constant pruning. And, you know, I, I should want the pruning, but the pruning's painful. Who wants the pruning? The you pruning be, is, I mean, God, we, put we, me up on a mantle. I'll look good, don't I? If I knew what was good for me, I would be God. I don't know what's good for me. Um, and the, the, the prayer, like my brother always says, the scariest prayer that you can ever pray is I will be done because I don't know what, I don't know what God's will is. And I just, now I just pray for the strength. Strength to carry out Pray for knowledge of his will and the strength to carry it out. That's it. There's no more. I mean, if, if, if one of my children that's with us were to get deathly ill, I'm sure there would be some sort of foxhole prayer of take them. But if I got sick, I don't even think I would pray, God, please save me. And don't. I mean, when it's time, there's a surrender level yeah. that, that um, well, I'll tell you that you're left with after a tragedy that's, that's on, on stun. Yeah. And... Um, I'm grateful to have this perspective on it, 
boy, if I could go back and live more of my life with that surrendered perspective and go, okay, don't care what people think. I always claimed to not care what people think. Now I really don't. So it's a very, it's a very different experience. Yeah. Just doing things because they're the right thing to do. By the way, I like to be comfortable. I think I worship at the God of comfort nowadays. I like, you know, so yeah, you like nice things and you like a good car. And I got, you know, I got a motorcycle that I don't probably don't need. I mean, there's just things that um, I'm not, I'm not devoid of human desires. Right. I'm not certainly like you're saying, I'm trying, I'm not, I'm not part, you know, it's still there on a regular basis, but big picture wise on the right day, on the good day, I'm like, okay, your will, whatever, whatever. I've come with you this far, dude, we're going out together. But you're aware of, of what, what a good day looks like and, and how to feed a good day. Right. And for for me, and you're talking about coming from a, from a life of knowing God and then, and then uh, going through your life and then coming back to, to knowing God again. I, I never knew what I was always trying to feed that, like what a good day was with stuff because I watched my, my stepdad feed it with alcohol and drugs and women. And so the, the uh, objectification of women and the insecurity of my own sexuality playing into feeding it with all these things and money and fame and importance mm-hmm. and what other people think was so important to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeding this thing and it's just like, it it, it, it fires and then it's gone and it, and it leaves you less. So you're, you're even emptier and without more hope, like less hope and you're just in this deeper, darker hole. And I, and I don't know what it looks like to be, to, to feed. Uh, a good day. I don't know what a good day means. Like I don't have, I don't have any like textbook. I don't have a dictionary. I don't have any idea what I'm doing here. Like what's the purpose of my life? And then somebody says the word Jesus, my, my life starts to fall apart in front of me. And then somebody says the answer is Jesus. And I'm like, I've always thought maybe it was Jesus, but, but nobody's walked me down this road. Like, who is he? What is it? What are you talking about? Like, show me. And they start showing me and man, things start happening. Like, he starts dropping these things in my life. Like I told you that first scripture I ever memorized was Ephesians 4, 2, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not even talking a week after I memorized it. I go to my very first men's group at six in the morning and I live an hour away and I've got to get up an hour before then to get myself ready. So I'm up at 4 a.m. on a Wednesday morning to drive an hour at 5 a.m. to get there at six for this thing. And there's like 600 men in this church and you go into the sanctuary whatever and it's the the stair steps all go down in a half circle to this stage down at the bottom with the screen that's as big as a bus it's this gigantic screen on the wall and and it says ephesians 4 2 <laughs> and it's just biblical manhood and i'm just like i i walk a couple steps down and i look up and see it and i just and that and so oh coincidence <laughs> coincidence lots of coincidences started happening Oh, you were just more aware of it because, you know, you're thinking about it. Like when you buy a brand new Toyota Tundra, you see Toyota Tundras everywhere. It's like, or there's Toyota Tundras everywhere. And you notice it because you bought one. I, by the way, I'm with you. I don't believe in coincidence anymore. And I think the signs, by the way, we've, we've had so many signs that would flip you out. If I I even told you where I'm going. Yeah. And I think they were always there. I think they were always there. I'm just, I'm just keen to it now. Yeah. Now, well, now I can go back and I can look at my life and like, and, and, and kind of like with my wife helping me see things, she's identifying little things. I'm like, oh, and 
and I went, the first thing I started to do in my, in my path with him was like, I guess it's part of the, this program is I started taking an account of my life and, and I started going back to when I was young and started walking down the decisions that I made and why and what happened and what was the background and like, where was this guy in the mirror mm -hmm. and start identifying, oh my gosh, like the, you know, I didn't, I didn't know any better. So I did this and it led me here and God was there and said, Hey, I'm here. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I know this. And so I'm going to go. And I kept going down. Like I kept having opportunities. Yeah. Well, he never stopped being there. And that was the thing I, I say all the time is like the love that he has is the kind of love that no matter what you do, no matter how insignificant you think you are unworthy of him, He's never, he's never not right behind you waiting for you to turn around and say, right. I, I, right. I surrender. Never right. not there. Yeah. So he's always seeking you, always pursuing you, always loving you, always wanting you. And, and man, that was like, oh. So there are no coincidences, right? There aren't. Because the coincidence that you're calling a coincidence is a man-made word that is basically the definition of God throwing you a line, throwing you a rope, throwing you... Bring in the helicopter. Yeah. Pick you up off the He's there. He's always there and he always loves you. And it's like, that's it. And at the end of the day, like, I don't, I don't need to focus on anything else except for that. That puts me on my knees. That puts me in a, in a position of surrender. And that fills me up to the point that I just want to start bawling because I'm so overwhelmed. Right. That's great. I mean, you should, okay. So it makes me think about, I was going to say, you should, you should take this a lot of that on the road, but you, you I, I, do. I do. So do. you, you do some like your, your band gigs and acoustic gigs. Also, I, just before I forget to ask you, you can put it all into one thing. Like I still, I mean, I haven't had a drink in 17 years. I, I still write about drinking. It's not, I, I'm not, yeah. I don't have an, I don't have any uh, objection to that. I'm, I, first of all, I'm an expert. Second of all, you find a little hope in our songs. If you're looking for them, no matter what they are, you, there's a little, you know what I mean? There's maybe a sarcasm in the, and the guy that's got it figured out that we're writing as right. or whatever. Right. Um, it's always there, but I don't have any objection. Anyway, I'm, I'm curious as to what there are changes in the writing, but ours are subtle. There's I still, we still write about drinking and still write about, but it's just, it has a different twist on it. Is right. there any of that? For sure. Uh, so, so going all the way back, like the, I, I'll, I'll go back and, and listen to and, and research and, and study my, my, the old writings. And it's, there was a thread of, of hope. Like, but there was a, it was a searching for something. All of them are talking about something that I'm, that even, even talking about Jesus and God, and it, it was in there in my old writings, like, because he was sprinkled in my life growing up. So the idea, the, the picture of, of him being the thing that I need was there. And I would talk about the search for that thing yeah. and, and kind of hoping that it was him, but never going down that road because what if it wasn't him? I was always afraid of like not believing because I knew that the end, end result of me not believing would be me crashing and dying. And like, so, <laughs> and now instead of there being uh, writing about hope. There's a writing of 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 finding something and and knowing something and celebrating what I've what I've discovered. Mm -hmm. So the so there's the um, the discussion now of the hope that I had, and there's and there's more of of the expressing that uh, that hope has led to a discovery. And that, yeah. that and so before I didn't I hadn't had the discovery yet. So it was all like. 
I love it though. It's where you were at the moment. Like I don't have, yeah. I, I don't have any problem singing that place that I was at the moment no. that that happened. The people want to hear these songs that I don't want to play anymore, but I want to play them be, before them because that's what they want to hear. And if this, if if I get to put them back in that place, this is nostalgic for them because we've got we've got really beautiful fans. They've been a lot of them have been with us for the full twenty eight years. That's the part of that I envy of the Texas singer songwriter is that. You are literally have this core group of people that are like your extended family. We've walked through life together. They've let us be they part of the soundtrack up. of their life. Like it, the the blessing and the the. Um, they watched you try to grow up. The honor. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And, they, and 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 so they 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 uh, they associate with that. They they relate to that, and they're all trying to kind of run down. And for them to see me have some success in this gives a spark of hope to maybe that's maybe that's the answer and it's like for me every night I get out there and I'm like I'm not going to tell you I'm not going to tell you that Jesus is the way but Jesus is the way and the only thing I'm going to tell you like is that I found something I, w I went through life and I, and I was a mess and I found something I found a love uh, and, and I found out that each of you is loved and, and I'm loved and I didn't think I was worthy of it and I'm probably still not worthy of it but the truth is that it's a love that'll never go away no matter what I do. And it's a love that I can't, I can't make any bigger and I can't earn it. And it's the love of Jesus. And if you want to know more about it, I'll be at the merch table after the show. You're so a glutton for punishment. Good for you. Sing, let's sing about strippers and beer and all the things we used to sing about. And they go, yeah! <laughs> and so we just start singing about strippers and beer and we play the songs and they have a blast. And I'm not telling them that they're going to hell. I'm not telling them that Jesus is the way, but I'm also, but I'm also, I am. I'm like throwing it out there and saying, I found something that's amazing. I'm tired of religion telling there everyone who's going to hell, by the way. I just can't take it anymore. I'm with, I think that you, what you're doing is presenting them with something and saying, okay, let's eat this chocolate cake. Not necessarily great for us, but we're going to live through it. It's good. And I don't know about you too, but I, I find, well, first of all, my brother and I, we, we're, we play a lot of these corporate shows and are great. We're better than we've ever been by far at whatever it is. And I think it's because we approach, or I certainly approach the stage in service versus I used to play so that you would think I was great. We are on the same, we're in the same cloth. Yes. I want you to think I'm a great guitar yes. player by the end of this thing. I want you to love me when we're done. Yeah, I, I don't even want you to love me. I want you to fear me or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like I'm, and, and now I'm like, I want you to have a good time. Yeah. I want to give you a smile. I want yes. to give you a good, I want to take sounds, you back on the road of, of, of go down a little path. Let's tell you the funny part. We always say, hey, you're getting ready to hear about the 10 best days of our career. Do not think every day Tim McGraw calls us and tells us we got a new single, but you're going to hear these stories because they're the ones you matter. We've also written 2,500 other songs you don't want to hear. You know, it starts with some self-deprecation, but our goal is, or my goal, especially just speaking for myself, is to go out there and make someone have a good time. And that just wasn't my goal before. I'm like, you dumbass. You literally could have connected to an audience years ago by thinking about them instead of yourself. And you wouldn't have been, and you, right. But again, a, a, another thing of like, we each have our own path and we each have to go down these and, and find our way in our own time. And God's just patient with us. It's so beautiful to look mm -hmm. at it because the story has to be that story. If it was some other story, then there is no God. You're yeah. the God. So beautiful expression. But I, I totally relate with that. Like now, and it's the position of your heart when you look at that stage and you look at this, why I'm here, they're paying me to be here, it's a corporate gig, it's whatever it is, they may not pay attention, but there might be, but I bet you money, 
I can get one person to pay attention and I can grab that one person. Willie Nelson said if he had, didn't have an audience, he would find one person that, that was into it and he would sing to that one person and it would be the concert would be for them and people would be around that person and seeing Willie singing to that one person and they'd kind of like kind of try to fold in and then he said it would, it would happen. It would start with one and it would go out like this and then he'd have the whole crowd by the time it was done. And, and so it's a great. different perspective but it's like the the approach of service of servitude um is like that that's it like i i have friends that say aren't you tired of this aren't you i mean no i'm not tired of of getting up on that stage and having an opportunity to share this love that's changed my life with people with total strangers and then maybe have a conversation with them i'm never more comfortable than when i'm sitting on stage i love it and i never and, more and i love singing for people that want to hear it, and I. You say you're better than you've ever been. I feel like I'm better than I've ever been. I uh, there's a an, another movie, um, Bohemian Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah. the movie about Queen. Yeah, yeah. And he says, he goes, uh, he said something about. He goes, I couldn't sing off key if I wanted to. And there are nights when I feel like I, I, I'm like, oh, that's how I feel sometimes. I'm like, I feel like I can just do no wrong when I'm singing, and I feel so. Uh, I'll, uh, and this has been since things have, since I got really saved was I started picturing um, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit sitting in a balcony that I make in every room. I set this balcony up over the front of house guy. Ooh, that's a lot of pressure. And they're sitting there and I'm playing for them. Like I'm giving my all for them every night, right? So there may be nobody paying attention to me, but I, I try to put that picture in my mind of they're up there and they're like, man, you're doing great. You're doing so yeah, good. I'm like, I'm giving everything I got. I'm singing, like I'm that, singing my best. What do you think? Here it is. Here's I love you. And it's like, and it, 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 uh, if, if there's just kind of depression in the, in the crowd, I'll look up and I'll be like, Jesus is up there going, you're doing good. Oh, God, I love awesome. you. And it's a, it's kind of corny, but it's like, that 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 is such you just nail it man it's in servitude on that stage we are here uh, i feel like i'm here to be of service to every single person that i meet whether it's that mm -hmm. homeless lady or the people that paid to come into the to the show and so that changes everything this is not their sin serving me it's not about me it's about me being there for them and so like if we're all in that position it's such a beautiful thing to watch people trying to open the door. Nope, nope, I'm opening the door for you. It's like, I love that. I love when you get stuck at a door and, and it's like, no, Too many people no, are trying after to after you, after you, And then you say, and, and then there's something to be said for uh, accepting the grace. There's something to be said for being able to accept a gift. Like you say, oh, I don't, I don't, I can't receive this. No, you need to be able to receive yeah. it. You have to be able to receive it. So mm -hmm. it's just a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Man, I feel like I'm in the same place. Like, no, that's great. That's great. And I don't know if it's, well, first of all, it's not just age because there's, there's, but there is a, a wisdom to age that we are, uh, we, I think we're fairly close in age, but there is something about getting your, your like mojo right with God. And mine came in the long way. And well, I'm not, I don't think yours came in the short way necessarily, but where you start looking at things for, for what they are, like, oh my God, this is never about me. This is about me helping the person that's watching have a good time. And if that means playing my ass off at some point in this, then that's great. If it also means telling a self-deprecating story, then that's it. Or if it's just strumming along while my brother sings the lyrics to something that don't really move me, but man, it's going to kill somebody and put, help them where they're at. Right. And, and it just stops me. I don't want to play. Playing a song I'm just kind of tired of. Just don't. To be honest, I, I must be a 
musical prostitute because I don't, I never get tired of hearing what they want to hear or playing what they want to hear. And, and, and that's the key. That's position of your heart, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not about you. It's playing what they want to hear. I mean, if you step away from it and look at it with the right eyes and the right, when you're in the right place, feeding that good day, you recognize that they want to hear you sing a song that you wrote. How, what an amazing like honor that is. What a, a what a gift, honor. what a, what a blessing to, oh, wow. And they're paying you the biggest compliment that they can pay you. And it's funny, the corporate gigs I would have been opposed to when I was younger, they're usually successful people and successful people are curious and they watch intently and they listen to our stories. That's it's a really amazing. good point. And I, I've, I've just become grateful for this, like this, the attentiveness, it's a listening experience. I always want to be doing flips and, and just throwing my guitar into the crowd, but now it's a listening experience. That's a really good point. The successful people, they, they are curious. they are attentive, they're curious, yeah. And they, they want to know what drove you to write that song? What was creative inspiration? They want to know about your life. And it's like, that that's a person I like to spend time with. Yeah. A, because they're successful and there's something that I'm curious about that. Mm-hmm. And, and B, because like, they're asking real questions and they're they're wanting to dig into the to the depth of of who you are and so uh, I always feel like um, there's the the news sports weather conversations that you have with people sort of the surface stuff when you first meet somebody but uh, for, for me it just sort of like as soon as you meet somebody hey you want to it's nice to meet you um, but when you meet somebody who says they love Jesus all gone. Like the, the you, you take the, the foam off the top of the coffee and you're you're right there in the black stuff and yeah, you're just yeah. like, oh man, like when did you get saved? Like, you know, how many kids you got? Like, I'm that way with uh, other alcoholics and I'm really that way with people who have lost children, yeah. which is the club that you don't ever want to be in, but you talk about a kinship. Yeah. There's nothing like to me talking to someone else who's lost a child because they're, man, you go immediate. right, you talk immediate. about it. You take the top layer of coffee off, forget the cream. You know, it's it. it, it you're you're right. There's something uh, special about being able to get to the. I'm a horrible small talk. I hate small days. talk. I mean, I, I mean, I'm good at it, but I don't. You like and it. I knew each other 30 <laughs> seconds and busted right in. And, and Lisa, our lovely segment producer, over there said, "Oh, oh, oh stop talking. Yeah, this goes on the Because we don't. Yeah, I think that's a blessing. Um, all right, so I know we're getting long in the tooth. I have one last. So I ask everyone a question um, before they get to leave here, and. Um, it's a two-part question. What is the worst thing that's ever happened to you? And what is the best thing that came out of that? It was best, I call it the best worst day of my life was when my wife found me out and um, and now my wife knows me. Hmm. Wow. And I know him, you know. That was that was good and it was fast. Like that was a, that was oh, on point. Oh, I'm sorry. The worst day of my life was when I met Matt Pivotel. Yeah, and the best thing that came out of that is I get to leave today. <laughs> Man, it's such a pleasure. You're an amazing guy. I'm, I'm so grateful for you coming by, and uh, I can't wait to get to know you better, brother. Same.